0: Hi, my name is Gwen, and I'll be reading today from John 17, verses 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us
1: Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. My name is Mike, one of our pastors here. Great to be with you. If you're tuning in online, if you're in East Hall or here in our West Service, welcome. Last Sunday, we finished our four-week vision series for the year called This Is My Church. It was a great series and it ended... With over 470 of you taking your next step in that direction, which is wonderful. Thanks for doing that. Keep going. If you missed last Sunday and you want to take a next step, we decided we would allow you to take a next step on this Sunday as well. All right, so we are really glad for you to be here and for you to call this your church. Next Sunday, we kick off a new series. Next Sunday, we are kicking off 10 weeks in the Gospel of Mark, looking at Jesus as our King. It'll be a great 10 weeks together. You don't want to miss it. This Sunday is a standalone Sunday. Happens four to five times in a year. We highlight a theme or a ministry important to our church. And today, it's a theme on church unity From John chapter 17. We have Bibles in the pews for you. You can find it on page 849 or you can pull it up on your phone. But before we get to John 17, the first 16 chapters of the Gospel of John paint this wonderful grand picture of Jesus. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin's of the world, Which makes Jesus the only one to tell anyone that as great as your sin is, my grace is greater. In John chapter 6, Jesus is the bread of life who satisfies the desires of this world. He is the only one to tell anyone, I can replace your emptiness with joy. In John chapter 8, he is the light of the world who is more powerful than any darkness in this life. So whatever darkness you are in, Jesus is the only one to tell anyone that light is coming. Whatever your darkness is, light is always coming. John chapter 10, Jesus called the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He is the only one to tell anyone that my love for you will never end and I will never leave you. In John chapter 11, he is called the resurrection and the life. That though we die, we will rise because of Jesus. And in John chapter 14, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. If you're looking for what is true, if you're looking with life for God, Jesus says, come to me. He says, come to me. It is the greatness of Jesus that sets our mission as a church. You know, hospitals help you get your body right. Banks help you get your money right schools help you get your education right and we at christ community chapel exist for one reason to help you get jesus right to help the community get jesus right to help the world get jesus right and the question is what does that look like for us how do we help the world get jesus right what needs to be true of us and john 17 is going to show us the way John 17 is a great gift. It's going to tell us this is what needs to be true of us as a church. John 17 is going to give us one big idea. I'm going to give it to you up front for free. All right. John 17 says this. To help the world get Jesus right. The the church cannot afford to get unity wrong. To help the world get Jesus right. The church cannot afford to get unity wrong. Two things in John 17, our unity and his believability. The way we treat each other with the way the world trusts in him. And so let's dig in. John 17, 20 through 23, let me read it for us. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. This passage records a prayer of Jesus, and it's his prayer actually for us. It's for you, it's for me, it's for this place. The first thing I want you to see be highlighted on the screens for you is in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, the disciples with him, but also for those who will believe in me, for those who will believe, all future Christians all future churches Jesus in this moment prayed for and the question is what do you think he prayed for or better yet what do you hope Jesus prayed for you and for me and for us what do you hope is at the top of his prayer list for us not what's on the top of your prayer list for him but what is on the top of Jesus the son of God's prayer list for this church three things this morning What Jesus prayed for, why he prayed for it, and then how we answer it. What and why and how. Let's first look at what Jesus prayed for. There is one request three times. You'll see it in green. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Verse 22, that they may be one. Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. 1 Jesus prayer for us is a prayer of unity. It's a prayer of oneness. He prays that our relationship together would be like his relationship with the Father. You see God as he truly is. God as he truly is is one God in 3 persons called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity in perfect harmony and when you read through the gospel of john you will see this time and time again at every page they are in step they are finishing each other's sentences they're on the same page they're connected and they are concerned for each other picture the best friend and the best moment with your best friend you've ever had and that's but a shadow picture the best marriage or the best moment in your marriage and that is but a glimmer of the unity of the oneness between the Father and the Son. So if you want to know what's at the top of the prayer list of Jesus for Christ's community chapel, it is our unity, it is our oneness, which is a little bit of a bummer, right? This is a safe place, isn't it? What was at the top of your list? Where did church unity fall for you? It feels like Jesus went off list. Unless he's talking about unity and somewhere warm and tropical right now, I don't think it was at the top of our lists. You know, when someone goes off list for your birthday or for Christmas, they ask you, hey, this is what I want. And then they give you something off list. My wife, Christine, and I have been married for 11 years. And this was either our first or second Christmas together. But my parents went off list for her. We gave them a list and they went off list and sometimes that works. This was not one of those times. We were going camping out west as a family, like real tent camping, okay? And if you know my wife or if you meet my wife, uh, you'll be struck by a lot of things, okay? Uh, You'll be struck by her wisdom and her compassion and her beauty and her fashion, but you will not be struck with the reality that she loves to camp in tents. Okay, that will not be the impression that you get. But my parents thought, hey, as good in-laws for our daughter-in-law, let's get her a camping gift. And so they went off list. And they bought my wife a wonderful, bright orange, warm, expensive sleeping bag for Christmas. They went off list. Church unity seems like Jesus is going off list, and yet it's at the very top of his list for us. Two things in this passage confirm that. The first is the brevity of this prayer. I'm not sure if you were thinking this, but you would read this passage and expect Jesus just to keep going. Right? If you were to guess, just without coming to church this morning, how long would Jesus' prayer be for you or for me or for this church? You would think it'd be at least the length of the Bible, if not more. He would write, he would just keep going, right? He knows everything about you. He knows everything about your marriage and your finances. He knows everything. You would expect his prayer list to be really, really long. Except in this passage, it's really, really short. Where's his prayer for our church leadership where's his prayer for our worship and our teaching and our Bible studies and our theology and all the great things where's his prayer for the things that are hard in your life where's his prayer for the struggling marriage for the kid who is wandering for the pain that you are suffering it's a really short prayer and you're really wondering Jesus just unity that's it and then the context of this prayer if you just look at the heading Just the heading of chapter 18, it says this, the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. The betrayal and arrest of Jesus. This was not a normal Thursday morning for Jesus. As Jesus is praying for us, Judas is betraying him. He is hours away from being arrested and he is one day away from being crucified. If you ever wondered how important unity is to Jesus, the day before the son of God died, he prayed for the unity of of God's people. I have a six-year-old son. His name is Brayden. And if you were to ask Brayden what the most important part of church was, it would be easy. The most important part of church for Brayden are the lights. It's the spotlights all on this stage. After every time we pick him up from the kids' class, we have to come right here to the sanctuary and we have to see the lights. He's actually started his own collection at home. We have to three spotlights at our house, and it's gotten to the point where he's renamed the rooms in our house. So if you come to the Howard house, there is no family room. There is only the sanctuary. <laughs> if you go to our house, we have no bedroom for Braden. We just have East Hall. Spotlight in the sanctuary, spotlight in East Hall. If you were to drive by our house in the middle of the night, which would be weird, but if you did. If you drove by our house in the middle of the night, every room would be dark, except for one. East Hall would be bright (laughs) as can be. The way Braden feels about lights is but a glimmer of what Jesus feels about unity. If he were to drive by our church in the middle of the night and every room was dark, he wouldn't care. He's looking for one light to be on, and the light of church unity. And the question is why? Not why does he care, but why does he care so much? It seems like he's over caring about church unity. Brings me to my second point, why Jesus prayed for what he did. There are two general ways people in the world can get Jesus right. Two common ways people start to believe that there really is one God. And there really is one God who sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Two ways. The first way I call the library approach. The library approach. This is when someone comes and they experience and wrestle with the truth of Christianity. They come and hear for the first time the good news of the gospel, that there really is a God who made everything. There is a God who loves them. There is a God who gave his son for them. And all they have to do is believe. They hear the truths of Christianity and they wrestle with it. They ask questions about who God is and who I am and what the Bible is like and can we trust it and did Jesus really rise from the dead and why does God allow so much suffering? They're exploring the truth of Christianity, People get Jesus right by asking good questions and coming to believe in the true answers. And so if you are here, this is a little bit of a side note, if you ever wonder, are there any questions off limits at this church? Are there any questions that are just too hard or too offensive? The answer is no. We would love to answer any question that you have at any time. So that's the library approach. The second approach I call the open house approach, the open house approach. And this we find in our passage. Look with me. Jesus has already told us the what of his prayer. He's prayed for unity. And now he's going to give us the why. He's going to give us the why. It should be in blue. At the end of verse 21, it says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The end of verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. You see the things that Jesus is connecting. He's connecting our unity with his believability. From the perspective of John 17, the way we treat each other really does change the way people will trust in Jesus. If the first way is marked by the truth of Christianity, then the open house approach is marked by the community of Christians. Some people need to hear about God's love. And then some people need to actually see God's love on display. Some people need to hear that there is one God who has reconciled them back to God. And some people also need to see a reconciled community together. I call it the open house approach because schools get this, right? Schools get this. If you're looking for the right preschool for your kid, the right high school, the right college, right? You, you go and visit, right? You go and visit. You go to their open house. And you begin to see, hey, what are they actually like? You talk to teachers. You see other students, right? You get a feel for the school and the culture and what's actually happening, right? More than just the website, right? More than just reading about it, you, you experience it. More than just a pamphlet, you actually meet people and begin to see what it's like. It's the same thing when you're buying a car. You take it for a test drive. It's the same thing when you're buying a house. You take a tour of it and so on. If the first way, the library way, is about engaging the truth and hearing about it, then I would say the open house approach is about experiencing it and seeing it. And just as schools do for prospective families and students the church does for the world see there are some people that need to hear that God is for them and sent his one and only son to reconcile them back to God and then some people need to come to this church and they need to see a reconciled community they don't need just to hear that God is one they need to see a church that is vibrantly and actively one together this is why Jesus cares so much about unity. He desperately wants the world to get him right. And he knows if the world is going to get him right, the church cannot afford to get unity wrong. And so, in this way, John 17 is leading us as a church to be one great big open house for Jesus. We say, Come, come and learn, come and ask, come engage the truth, and also come and see. Come experience. Come watch our relationships. Come see our unity and our oneness. See the way we love each other. For it's only a glimpse of how great a love that God has for you. Come get Jesus right here. A few weeks ago, there was a a news story that kind of took over. It was around the NFL player, DeMar Hamlin. I'm not sure if you read it or even were watching the game when it happened, but in the middle of a football game, yeah, he collapsed. And it was really scary. They actually ended up canceling the game. Thankfully, he's doing much better now, and he's healthy, and he's recovering. But it was interesting to see the response to what happened. If you were tracking with the news or what happened, you saw two things you saw first a lot of people rallying around him. You saw his GoFundMe page go through the roof. Right? You saw opposing teams wearing his number on their jersey. Right? You saw people rallying around him. But you also saw a lot of people praying. A lot of people praying. There was an ESPN announcer, Dan Orlowski, who actually prayed live on air for DeMar. And what I realized is that the world is hungering for something to unify them. The world is hungering for someone to point them to God. And John 17 says we can do that. It is our unity that can lead people to actually get Jesus right. When we say come to our church, what if people came and they saw something in us that they didn't see anywhere else? In a country divided, what if they saw a church actually and deeply united? What if they came into our atrium and were completely confused? Absolutely, completely confused. On one corner of the atrium, you had a white family and a black family and an Asian family laughing together. The other side of the atrium, you had the CEO of their company with a part-time employee having a cup of coffee together. What if they walked back into our kids' ministry and they saw the rich and the poor, the old and the young serving together? What if the church showed the world something they've never seen before In all the division they showed Something of unity. And I have to believe, according to John 17, that if we would get unity so right, it would be nearly impossible for the world to get Jesus wrong. And who wouldn't want to be a part of that kind of church? The question is, how do we do that? How do we become this kind of church? brings me to my third point, how we do it. How we actually do it. I have a good friend who loves to make furniture. He takes one piece of wood and turns it into something absolutely amazing. He makes dining room tables. He makes live edged coffee tables. He makes cabinets and tables. Uh, and I always have two thoughts when he shows me what he made. One, that's really impressive. That's really impressive. That's beautiful. And two, I could never, ever do that. Never. It wouldn't matter how much you prayed for me. It wouldn't matter how many YouTube videos you sent me, right? I'm never going to turn one piece of wood into this beautiful dining room table. I think sometimes that's how we view unity. We just can't do it. It seems like it would be beautiful. It seems like it would be impressive. It would be attractive to the world. But it's just not going to happen. I'm not able to do that. No amount of prayer or YouTube videos can actually Do that, and I think I would agree with you. I would agree with you. At some point, it seems like the political divide is just too deep. It seems like the racial tensions have gone on for just too long. The generational gaps are just too wide, right? And I would tend to agree with you. If unity was like building a table, I would agree. If it were up to us. But John 17 has really good news that we don't have to build the table. The good news of John 17 is that God already did and let me show you what i mean if you look with me at the center of our passage the secret to our unity is in verse 22 it says the glory that you have given me i have given to them the glory that you father have given to me your son i have given to them your church According to Jesus, unity is actually possible and it's rooted in the glory that he gives to us. And the question is, what is this glory? Well, it has to be something true of Jesus that's not currently true of his disciples. It has to be something true of Jesus but not true of his disciples. Secondly, it has to be true for relationship. It has to be true for, look at this, what I mean. Look at verse 23. It's in white. I and them and you and me. This glory is about relating us to Jesus, I and them. And this glory is about you and me, the relationship between the Father and the Son. When you start to piece this together, you begin to realize that this glory is not a what or a thing, but it's a who, it's a person. It's the person that Jesus just promised in John 14 through 16 to give to his disciples. And it's the person missing in the prayer in John 17, the third person of the Trinity, the glory for our unity, the glory that Jesus gives, is the glorious presence of God himself, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. You see, this is true. Every Christian story is the same, and every story ends in glory. Every Christian story is the same, and every story ends in glory. It's a story of oneness, and of unity, and of love. It's a story of one God, Father, Son, and Spirit working together to rescue and reconcile you back to God. It's the Father in his great love choosing you. It's the Son in his great grace dying for you. And it's the Spirit in his great glory indwelling you. And now, because of the Spirit, God says, you are one with me and you are one with each other. The greatest bond That you have between yourselves is not your sports team is not your school it's not your hobbies your interests your skin color your political party the worship service you attend the car you drive the greatest bond you have between Christians is the Holy Spirit of God it's his glorious presence within you so if you wonder how in the world does the church ever cross the political divide God says I already have The person who voted for Trump and the person who voted for Biden are already one in the spirit. If you wonder how in the world are we ever going to cross the generational gap, God says I've already done it. The 80-year-old and the 18-year-old are already one in the spirit. How does someone who hates sports more than anything actually become one with someone who loves sports? And God says I've already done it. Your unity is in me. I am your oneness and I am your peace. The good news is that we don't have to build the table. God himself built the table using the wood from the cross. And the spirit leads us to our seat and says, look around. And he says, look around. You are one with me. You are one with each other. That is your story. And that is your glory. A few weeks ago, my friend came over. We had a a bench that was wobbly for our dining room table, and it had been wobbly for a long time. Uh, And true to form, I had no idea how to fix it, and so I called him over. And it took him about three seconds, and he realized what the problem was, and he realized that there was one screw loose that needed a little bit tightened. That was it. He came over, three seconds, tightened the screw. I always wonder what he thinks about me when he does that, but I'm... (laughs) I'm really too afraid to ask. And then he leaves. And now our chair and our bench isn't wobbly anymore. I can't build a table, but I can tighten a few screws. In church, we don't need to build a table. But we do need to learn to tighten a few screws. If we're going to maintain our unity, two screws every church, including ours, need to tighten. The first screw is this. We need to learn to minimize our differences. We need to learn to minimize our differences. Not eliminate them, but minimize them. This is not the route of being colorblind and saying I don't see the differences, but it's simply saying that the color of skin does not determine my unity. It's not about stop cheering for your favorite sports team or voting for your favorite political party, but it's simply saying the team that I cheer for and the people I vote for don't determine the people I sit with. You know, I've had to realize this. Uh, one of the great perks, if you can call it a perk, of preaching is you get to sit in these ideas all week. And actually, I've been known I've been preaching about this passage for like three months. So I've been three months of sitting and thinking about church unity. And uh, I actually realized how much I've missed it in this. It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I've realized that I can take good things I care about and use them to divide me from other Christians. And this is what I mean. I've realized that there are certain things that I care about. If I, said, if I said you didn't care about those in the same way, I would take a step back. If you didn't care about the issues of race or adoption or certain things in theology the same way that I did, I would take a step back. And I realized not just how wrong that was, it's actually a form of idolatry. I'm putting something above God. I'm putting a godly cause over God himself. I'm saying my passion for a particular interest is more important than the presence of God himself for unity. So if we are gonna maintain our unity, we have to ask the question, what does it look like to minimize our differences? What differences in you need minimize? For anything that is dividing us, we have put above our God. We need to learn to minimize our differences. Then also, we need to learn to value the God who is within us. We're going to minimize the differences between us and value the God who is within us. The only way we minimize our differences is by maximizing our value of God. One has to go down and one has to go up. This isn't the work of building. This isn't the work of doing more. This is the work of believing deeper of actually believing that there is one God who is more important than anything else. No matter what else divides us, there's nothing more important than the one God who came for me, who died for me, who valued me to the point of giving his own life on the cross and the value of this God who now indwells me. You see, politics matter. Sports teams are fun. Great causes are great. Everything that is different about us can be wonderful but the most important thing for the unity between us is the glory of the god within us one year ago on this exact sunday my friend steve walked into this church and for his whole life he had gotten jesus wrong and he came and he asked questions and he came and he saw and then on november 27 2022 steve was baptized right here if we want to be a church that helps more and more steves get jesus right then we cannot afford to get our unity wrong let's pray father we want to be the church of john 17 it's our desire to reflect your oneness in this place it's our desire to be the people to be the church that help people get you right. And I even confess in my own heart how I have struggled in this area and how hard it can be. God, thank you that you have done the hard work. Thank you that you are the one who's built the table for us. You have made us one in your spirit. Help us to believe that. And help us to express that well, God. God, make us to be one great big open house for you. And I pray in the next year, and the next 30 years, God, that you lead thousands, if not 10,000 people to get you right. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.